Well, I want to welcome all of you who are joining us, some online, some are watching by television, and some are at our other campuses. We have three campuses, one at Sugarloaf, we've got one at Lanier, and we have one at Mill Creek. Go online, find out where we are, and come to the church that's closest to you and see how God is moving in our church. You know, one of the hardest parts of Christmas is finding gifts that are unique that, that somebody doesn't already have. It's the hardest part for me. You know, it's hard to find a gift for Teresa. Teresa's got about everything she needs. I've got everything that I need. And our kids are always complaining about what to get us for Christmas. Well, we all know people like that. We all know people that when Christmas comes around, you go, good grief, what in the world do I buy this person? So I wanna get ahead of the game. I've got some great news for some of us here right now. I have come across a gift. You can give basically to almost anybody, maybe not a child, but uh, anyone maybe, you know, even in their teenage years, you, anybody, it doesn't matter how, how rich they are, how much they already have, this is a gift you can give, and I've never met anybody that has this gift. It's called the ticker watch. Now, this is a picture of this watch. It's a fascinating watch. It's a watch that not only predicts when you will die, it actually gives you a countdown to your final seconds, so you can actually watch this thing as you're drawing your last breath. I thought that was a pretty cool gift. Swedish inventor Frederick Colting created this watch. By the way, you know what he calls it? He calls it the death watch, all right? And here's how it works. You, you fill out a questionnaire, give your medical history, and then what you do is you subtract your age from the results and it gives you your death score. You enter that into the ticker and voila, the countdown begins and you can even watch yourself tick down your life to the last minute and then kick the bucket. One suggestion, when you give it for Christmas, don't give it to your 94-year-old grandmother, okay? I would not suggest you do that. Now, this watch is designed to help people make the most out of their life and cherish whatever time they have left. Because we all know we're not gonna be here forever. We, we don't know exactly when or where we're going to die. And so what this watch does is it kind of helps you to focus in on what's important every day, knowing that the clock is ticking. Well, the problem is, Nobody really knows when they're going to die, and nobody knows where they're going to die, but I'll tell you what I've learned. The older you get, there's another question that really pops into your mind, and it's not when you're going to die, it's not where you're going to die, it's how am I going to die? I can't even tell you now how many times I've had people say something like this. You know, Pastor, uh, I don't know when I'm going to die, I just don't want to what? Suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. And that's why we're in this series that we're calling The Bucket List. Because whether we've written them down or not, everybody has a bucket list. I promise you, if we told everybody that's listening right now, you've got one year to live, you would instantaneously make out your bucket list. We all have one. We may not have written them down, but we know in our head, okay, if I knew I was gonna be dying pretty soon, there are some things that I wanna do, there are some things I wanna see, there are some things I wanna experience before I die. Here's what I wanna share with you. There's a big difference between what you may want to do before you die and what you better do before you die. There are some good things to do before you die, but then there are some should things to do before you die. There are things you wanna do, there are things you 
better do. This series is telling us what we had better do. And I didn't make these up. These are coming right out of the lips of the greatest man who ever lived. His name was Jesus. And on the cross before he died, Jesus said seven things that I believe made up his bucket list that ought to be on our bucket list because it teaches us not only how to live well, but how to die well. This is not my list. This is Jesus's list. So think about it. He knows he's hanging on the cross. He has the luxury of knowing I don't have but a few hours to live. I've got to get make sure my affairs are in order and I've got to do it right now. And so in the three years that he was alive, he showed us how to live. <clears throat> but in these last six hours while he's dying, he taught us how to die. Now we come to the fifth of the seven sayings that he says on the cross. It is the briefest thing he said of all the things he said. This is the briefest, but it's one of the most interesting and fascinating things that he ever said. If you bought a copy of God's Word and you'd like to look on with us, or you have a smartphone or an iPad or whatever you might use, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. There are four Gospels. They're in the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I want you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Let me kind of tell you what's going on. Jesus is nearly dead. And, and, and that much was clear to everybody. It might be minutes, uh, it might be an hour, but even a Roman soldier, much less a doctor, could easily see that the end is now near. And just as he's getting to the point where he knows he's not gonna be here very much longer, almost like a, a, a gasp or a, a last gasp. This sound comes out and, it, and it's more like a moan that you could barely hear. And it's the shortest of all the statements that Jesus ever made on the cross, but it is one of the absolute most revealing statements that he made. We're in John chapter 19. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, here's the words, I am thirsty. Three words in English. One word in Greek, and it only has four letters. And it's very interesting. It's the only statement Jesus ever makes in six hours that refers to his suffering, that refers to his physical pain, that refers to how much he's actually hurting. Because up to this point, Jesus had been focusing on the need of others. You remember, his foes needed forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There was a felon that needed forgiveness. He, he needed eternal life. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. His family had to be taken care of. His mother, he said to John, John, from now on, she's your mom. Mom, from now on, he's your son. But now he deals with his own personal, physical suffering. He says, I am thirsty. And in those three words, he tells us, listen, that one of the things you better make sure is on your bucket list before you die is to suffer well. I'm talking to people right now, and you're suffering. Some of you are suffering physically. Some of you are suffering emotionally. Some of you are suffering financially. But you know what it is to suffer. As a matter of fact, many people suffer while they're living and many people suffer while they're dying. And what Jesus does in these three little words, he tells us how to suffer and how to suffer well. 
How do you handle suffering? And how do you handle it well? Three things we're gonna learn today. Same thing Jesus did. Number one, admit your pain. That's the first thing you need to do. If you're suffering in any way whatsoever, admit your pain. Now, notice the first word in this verse. You see this word, later. Why did John put that in there, later? What's he talking about? Well, it's not really appreciated or understood just how much pain and suffering Jesus experienced on the cross. You know, we see these movies on TV or, or, or even almost when we read about it in the Bible, it's kind of cleaned up. It's kind of, kind of, you know, chloroformed. It's not really as real as it would have been there. But let me just let you understand, for six hours, he had been undergoing the absolute most torturous death that human, human beings have ever invented. Because prior to being nailed on the cross, he had been through 12 hours of pure torture. He had been beaten. He had been beaten. He had been slapped. I've told you he'd been scourged with a cat of nine tails. They took a, they took a whip that had nine different ends and it had different metals and, and metal balls on it. And they ripped into his back until his back was just, just ribbons of flesh hanging off. You could see right through into his rib cage. They had crowned him with thorns that burrowed into his scalp. His beard had been ripped out. They then pounded nails into his hand and nails into his feet. Hey, no wonder he's thirsty. He's exposed to the heat. <clears throat> he's stark naked. He's had a tremendous loss of blood. He's totally exhausted. He is extremely dehydrated. As a matter of fact, what a lot of people don't realize is one of the, of, of the many aspects of crucifixion those of us who live in a first world, you know, a, 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 a first world country, we can't even imagine having this kind of thirst. <clears throat> One of the great things about living in America is we've got all the fresh water we want to drink. And so we get just a little bit thirsty. We've got water at our fingertips. And what you may not know is this. People think that when you were crucified, you died by bleeding to death. Well, you didn't bleed to death because you didn't really bleed that much. You died by dehydration and asphyxiation. You couldn't breathe and your body needed water. Now, let me, let me tell you what I'd like to do. I wanna put you right now in his body at this moment. You've been hanging on the cross. It's probably been at least three, four, probably maybe five hours. You've been hanging on the cross, okay? I'm putting you in his body. This is what it feels like. Your lips are cracked and bleeding. Your eyes are glazed over. Your tongue is swollen to three times its normal size. Saliva sticks to your throat like glue. That's why we can survive much longer without food than we can without water. And then he's lost all kinds of bodily fluids. And when you combine a loss of water with a loss of bodily fluids, guess what? It gives you a tremendous fever. Your eyeballs <coughs> are burning in your sockets. <clears throat> your head is exploding with excruciating pain. Your vocal cords are inflamed. They feel like they're on fire. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> scientists tell us that the most agonizing pain in the human body is thirst. Because when you're thirsty, every single cell, every cell, every corpuscle is crying out for a drop of water. And the pain never stays the same. It gets worse and worse and worse. And so finally, he just simply says, I am thirsty. Now, let me just call time out. 
Remember who's talking. This is the guy that walked on water. This is a guy that could make a wave of water stop in its tracks. Why doesn't he do something about his thirst? I mean, if he could turn water into wine, couldn't he turn dirt into water? If he could take five loaves and two fishes and and feed 5,000 people, couldn't he make it rain a river into his mouth? I mean, the the Bible says that 12,000 angels were ready to do battle for him. Couldn't he just ask one of those angels to bring him something to drink? Well, the answer is yes. But that raises the big question, right? So if he could do it, why didn't he? Why did he go through all of this physical suffering? As a matter of fact, why did he suffer physical hurt and emotional heartache and spiritual helplessness? Why did he go through being crucified by his foes and deserted by his friends and his family and even forsaken by his heavenly father? Why did he do that? Listen carefully. The reason he did all of that and the reason he's at this point in his life is he wanted us to know he's felt what we feel. He has experienced what we've experienced. When we hurt, he says, I know you're hurt. You see, Jesus knew that some of you would be deserted by your friends. He knew some of you would be disappointed by your family. He knew that you would face physical pain and emotional pain and spiritual pain. I mean, right now, maybe you're hurting physically because you're sick, you've got disease, or you're you're disabled. Maybe you're hurting emotionally because of desertion or disappointment. Maybe you're hurting spiritually because of discouragement and disillusionment. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're listening to me and you think nobody can relate to how you feel because nobody is where I am. Nobody has been where I have been. Well, I've got news for you. Jesus has. Jesus can. You cannot experience pain he hasn't felt. You cannot experience suffering he's not gone through. You can't go through any trouble. He doesn't know exactly how you feel. And that's why when you're hurting, you can always admit your pain to a God who knows exactly how you feel. So let me just say to some of us today, we're kind of taught sometimes, be stoic, be tough, don't ever complain, never let them see you sweat. Jesus did. So I want to tell you, it's okay when you're hurting to admit you're hurting. It's okay when you're in pain of any kind, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, to let God know and to tell God that you're hurting because by the way, he knows it anyway. So if you're suffering, number one, admit your pain. Number two, accept God's plan. Accept God's plan. Now, there's still a great puzzle to this statement. I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if you understand who Jesus was and what Jesus did, you, you can't help but think, you, you know, there's something wrong with this picture. I mean, the one that scooped out the oceans and carved out the lakes and lined out the rivers and traced out the streams, the one who did all of that said, I am thirsty. The one who said, I am the water of life has no water for himself. And you have to ask again, why did Jesus go through what he did not have to go through? 
Why is Jesus saying something right now he never should have had to say? When I watch this, John does us a big favor. He not only tells us what Jesus said, but why Jesus said it. And it's not totally what you think. Oh, he said he was thirsty because he was thirsty, but there was a bigger reason than that. Listen to what John said. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, now watch this, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Whoa. John said, oh, he didn't just say he was thirsty because he was thirsty. Now, when you say you're thirsty or I say I'm thirsty, there's only one reason we say that, because we're thirsty. But Jesus didn't just say he was thirsty because he was thirsty. There's something more that drove his thirst and something more that drove that statement. Somehow, right in the middle of the worst suffering you could imagine he was going through, Jesus realizes, wait a minute. All of this is happening according to the plan of God. It's happening because God predicted it would happen. It's happening according to the fulfillment of Scripture. See, other gospel writers, for example, they talk about the dividing of the garments and the casting of lots. But John goes to the trouble to talk about how the Word of God was being fulfilled at this very moment. By the way, you know why John said that? He's reminding all of us just to remember the cross and the crucifixion was not an accident. It wasn't a mess up. It wasn't a mistake. It was not a slip up. Neither is Jesus being thirsty and letting us know he was thirsty. Listen, even at this moment, <clears throat> even at this moment right now, everything is going according to God's plan. Hundreds of years before this, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, there was a prophecy that was given by David, and I guarantee you when David wrote it, he didn't have a clue what he was writing. There was a prophecy by David that this very thing was going to happen. I mean, even though he did not know who he was talking about, even though he did not know that down the road, one of his very descendants would be the Messiah and the Son of God, at this very moment, in Psalm 69, verse 21, he wrote these words. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Well, now, wait a minute. Jesus had not yet been given vinegar to drink. And yet knowing God's word and knowing God's plan, he let it known that he was thirsty so that God's plan would be fulfilled. Because look what we read now in John 19. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips. Now, now wait a minute, think about that. When you're thirsty, <laughs> have you ever gone into a restaurant and, and sit down and somebody says, what would you like to drink? Have you ever said, I'd like some vinegar? <laughs> no. When you're thirsty, what do you want to drink? Right, you want water. When you're thirsty, what do you expect to drink? Water. What would you want to be offered to drink? Water. Yet Jesus is offered bitter vinegar. Now, you want to say, what idiot would give a man vinegar who's thirsty? It was all 
according to the plan of God. It was all in fulfillment of the word of God. Now listen, don't miss what I'm about to tell you because this is gonna be a real encouragement to some of you right now that are so discouraged, you can't remember the last time you were encouraged. You ready? Listen to this. God has a plan for you both in how you live and how you die. God has a plan for you, both in how you live and how you die. God leaves nothing to chance. There's no such things as accidents. There are only appointments. Now, here's the big question, okay? This is where it's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable for many of us. It's uncomfortable for me. Here's the big question. Jesus suffered all that he suffered physically, spiritually, emotionally, because he was completely surrendered to and totally accepting of the plan of God for his life. Did you hear me? The reason why Jesus is doing what he's doing right now is because he was completely surrendered to and totally accepting of the plan of God for his life. Now, here's the question. Am I willing to suffer whatever I need to suffer, whether it be physical hurt, emotional heartache, our spiritual helplessness, if that is God's plan for my life? That's the question. And you've gotta be honest enough to ask it. And you gotta be honest enough to answer it. Am I willing, if it's God's will for my life and God's plan for my wife, life, to accept the suffering that I know sometimes comes with life? Or right, let me put it to you another way. What's more important to you right now? Just tell the truth. What's more important to you right now? Your personal comfort or God's plan for your life? Because you're gonna live well and you're gonna die well. You can't just admit your pain when you're hurting. You've got to accept God's plan when you're hurting. And that's why so many times when believers who live for Jesus all their life Sometimes, and I've seen them, we've all seen people who love the Lord, they love God, they walk with God. They suffered horrifically before they died. Sometimes we get angry with God, we get bitter with God, we get mad at God. Why did you let my mother suffer that way? Why did you let my grandmother suffer that way? Why did you let that godly man suffer that way? Listen, if you're going to walk with God and be with God, what you need to be with God, for God, to God, and by God, you are going to have to accept God's plan. There are no accidents. And this is why this is so important. If you're going to accept God's plans and you're going to admit your pain, then these words teach us in our suffering to do one last thing. Acknowledge God's purpose. Now, let me show you how this works out. It's really a tremendous irony to me that Jesus waits until the last few moments of his life to call attention to his suffering. Now, you think about this. Look at all he'd gone through. When they shoved that crown of thorns down on his head, he didn't scream out, my head hurts. When, when, when they ripped the beard out of his face, he didn't say, my, 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 my face hurts. When they scourged him and beat him almost senseless and almost to, to the point of death, he didn't say, my back hurts. But when every cell in his body was crying out for a drop of water, he said, I am thirsty. Now, here's my question. Why did he wait until then? 
Why does he wait until almost all the physical suffering is over to call attention to his physical suffering? Here's why. He knew that was God's purpose for his life. He wanted people to know just before he checked out, he died accomplishing God's purpose for his life. In fact, let me explain something that happened to you that I bet you hadn't thought about when he said he was thirsty. Because remember, remember this, okay? God never wastes anything. Did you hear that? God never wastes anything. He never wastes triumphs and he never wastes tragedy. He never wastes success. He never wastes suffering. God never wastes anything and neither should we. We should never waste our pain and our suffering and our hurt and our heartache that we experience in life because God can redeem that suffering. Listen, God can take your physical hurt. God can take your emotional heartache. God can take your spiritual helplessness and God can use it for his glory. God can use it for his honor and God can even use it even to draw people to himself that might not otherwise even think about coming to him because recall what happened. There was at least somebody in that hardened crowd. They'd been mocking Jesus, making fun of Jesus, jeering Jesus, and all of a sudden, they hear this one last moan, this one last groan, I am thirsty. And a heart that was as hard as granite, God touched and turned it as soft as mush. And they couldn't help themselves. And they went and found the only thing they could find to drink, which was some bitter vinegar. Now, you may not know this, and you probably wouldn't, but that was so unusual because there was a law against helping crucified criminals. It was as much against the law to help a crucified criminal be more comfortable when he was dying as it would have been if you were trying to break somebody out of jail. And yet, nobody lifted a hand to stop this one act of kindness to Jesus. And here's the point. If you'll take your pain and you'll take your suffering and you'll take your heartache and you'll take your hurt and you'll turn it over to God and you'll ask God to strengthen you in the middle of that suffering and you'll ask God to glorify himself through that suffering, he will use it to do both. Because see, there's far more to this little four-letter word in Greek than you realize because everybody on this planet is thirsty. As a matter of fact, you probably know this, I'm sure, we, we were all babies at one time. We were all born thirsty. Every baby that comes out of their mother's womb is born thirsty. And we live thirsty. People all over the planet say every day, I'm thirsty. You know how we know that's what they're saying? Because they try to slake their thirst with money, with drugs, with alcohol with sex, with success, with pleasure, with power, with cars and houses and stocks and bonds and stuff. And do you know what Jesus said about this water that the world has to offer? He said in John 4, 13, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the world's water, everyone who does the drugs, drinks the alcohol, hop from one bed to another and one marriage to another. Everyone who climbs the corporate ladder, everyone who tries to buy more stuff and live in a bigger house and drive a nicer car and wear better clothes will be thirsty again. And you see, Jesus died thirsty 
so we would never have to die thirsty. Jesus died thirsty, so we'd never have to live thirsty. I mean, think about this. I, I thought about this when I was working on this message. I never, I've really never thought about this before. We know from what we can study in the Bible, and pretty much what we learned, that Jesus lived about 33 years on planet Earth, okay? He lived about 30 years, and then before he had his ministry, and then he spent three years ministering. Now, here's my question. Why did Jesus live on earth even 33 years? I mean, why, why didn't Jesus just come to earth and live just long enough to die for our sins and then leave? I mean, he lived a sinless 33 years. Why didn't he just live a sinless three years or a sinless one year or a sinless one month? Why, why go through the sunburns and the sore throats and the hunger and the ridicule and the rejection and the temptation and the exhaustion and the, and, and, and the, and, and the hatred? Why go through all of that? Because he wanted us to understand whatever bad happens to us has already happened to him. You don't go through anything, anything he has not already gone through. Listen, he not only suffered for us, he suffered before us. And you can always know that your suffering has a purpose and your pain has a plan. And yet, because Jesus came back from the dead, listen now, because Jesus got through his pain, through his suffering, he did die, but he came back from the grave. He did that so you can know whatever you're going through right now, listen, whatever you're going through right now, someday you will get through it. Someday you will get beyond it. And someday you will get over it. But you've got to acknowledge and know God's got a plan in all of it. I read something the other day that fascinated me. I didn't know this. I always love to learn new things, and this is a new thing, but you didn't know it. Mexico City, uh, one of the largest cities in the world, 20 million people, is sinking. I mean, literally sinking. Every year, buildings and streets are sinking deeper into the earth. Now, some neighborhoods are sinking about a foot a year. As a matter of fact, this sinking has averaged 22 feet in 60 years. You got that? The, the city as a whole, if you took it all in total, has sunk about 22 feet in 60 years. You know why? You ready for this? You know why the city is sinking? You'd never guess this. If, if I gave you a million guesses, you'd never guess it. It's sinking because the people in Mexico City are thirsty. You say, I don't get it. 70% <laughs> of the water that people rely on in Mexico City to live has to be extracted from the aquifers, which are actually below the city. So to quench their thirst, billions of gallons of water have to be pumped from underground every year, and as they drain the water from the, aqua, the aquifers under the city, guess what happens? The city sinks, but it's even worse. Much of the water has organic and chemical contamination, which can give death-giving disease. That's why when you're in Mexico City, don't drink the water. Well, I got news for you. This whole world is one gigantic Mexico City. Atlanta is Mexico City. Chicago 
New York, LA, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Moscow, London, Paris. They're all Mexico cities. Because the more of the world's water you drink, the deeper you sink into despair and discouragement and disillusionment. And the deeper you sink into despair and discouragement and disillusionment, the thirstier you get. And the thirstier you get, the more that you drink, and the more that you drink, the more that you sink. And yet Jesus said in John 4, 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So now we come full circle. He's not going to live very much longer. He's got a couple of other things he's going to say before he draws his last breath. And he waits almost to the last minute. <laughs> it says these strange three words. I am thirsty. And the reason why Jesus said that was to let us know that anybody can come and drink of the life-giving water he gives and they'll never have to say those words again. Listen, we're all going to suffer some way, somehow. Nobody gets through life without suffering something. We're all going to suffer and we're all going to die. And I hate to tell you, but many of us, maybe me included, we're going to die suffering. But because of Jesus, we can know that the one who suffered for us suffers with us. And if we'll allow him, by admitting our pain, acknowledging his purpose, and accepting his plan, he will use that pain and that suffering for his glory.